0: Give me Jesus. John basically says that that's the reason he tells us these signs at the end of his gospel. John 20, verse 30. He says, I have written these things that you may believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and believing have life in his name. Basically, I've shared these signs with you that you in your own heart might come to cry out, Give me Jesus. Above all else, give me Jesus. All that those signs point to about him, that's the desire of my heart. Give me Jesus. So that's the title of the series in which we're looking at each one of these different signs in the Gospel of John. And the first one, uh, as you know, was this last week, John says that the first sign that Jesus did was turning the water into wine at Cana of Galilee. And that was in John uh, chapter 2, first 11 verses there. And today we're going to look at what John calls the second sign. Now other people and other theologians say that there are many signs in, John, uh, in the gospel of John that John doesn't necessarily claim himself as a sign. Some people would say that Jesus cleansing the temple was a sign. And it does show us much about God, much about Jesus, much about his identity, and all that sort of thing. But John himself numbers these signs. And about this one that we're going to look at today, he says, and this was the second of his signs. Okay, So we're going to let John himself identify these. And uh, the one that we're going to look at today is... uh, the royal official who comes to Jesus pleading with him that he heal his his dying son. It's in John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. If you have your scriptures there and want to read uh, along today, feel free to do that. But Jesus in John seems to be going back and forth from Jerusalem, um, from Judea in the southern parts then back up home to his home base, which is on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee, a town called Capernaum, right? That became his home base away from home. He grew up in Nazareth, but during his adult life, Capernaum, and during his ministry, Capernaum becomes his home base. It's even called his home uh, in, in the Gospel of Mark. So he's on his way back to home, Having been down in Jerusalem and Judea, he's done all kinds of signs there at the Passover. People have seen him heal. Word of his miraculous power has been spreading abroad. He's becoming very popular. People are wanting to know, who is this guy? What's he doing? Can I see one of these? And so people are flocking to him wherever he goes. He comes back up through Samaria. And in Samaria, people don't just get astonished at his works. They understand that they are signs and they actually believe in him for who he is. And so Samaria, there's a much higher level of faith than Jesus is known, either in Judea or back in his homeland. You remember what happened at Nazareth, right? Who are you? Aren't you Joseph's boy? Didn't you fix my table last year? Who are you? You're the cable guy, you know? It's it's, it's that kind of reaction in, in, in Nazareth back home. And this passage begins as Jesus is going back to that home region, and he actually says about it, a prophet is never welcome or honored in his own home country. So Jesus, having said that, is now on his way back to his home country. What kind of reception do you think he's going to get? It's probably not a favorable one. Probably not one of faith. But in the midst of going back home, He meets this royal official who is an exception to that rule and becomes an example for us of what it means to have life-giving faith. Here's that scripture, John 4, beginning with verse 43, dramatized. Watch the screens.
1: After spending two days there, Jesus left and went to Galilee, For he himself had said prophets are not respected in their own country when he arrived in Galilee the people there welcomed him because they had gone to the Passover festival in Jerusalem and had seen everything that he had done during the festival then Jesus went back to Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. a government official was there whose son was sick in Capernaum when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee he went to him and asked him to go to Capernaum and heal his son who was about to die none of you will ever believe unless you see miracles and wonders Sir, come with me before my child dies. Go. Your son will live. The man believed Jesus' words and went. His way home, his servants met him with the news. Ah! Your boy is going to live. He asked them what time it was when his son got better. It was one o'clock yesterday afternoon when the fever left him. Then the father remembered that it was at that very hour when Jesus had told him. So he and all his family believed. This was the second miracle that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. The second
0: miracle. The actual word in the scriptures is this is the second sign. What an incredible story that is. And it's often read so quickly. It's often not given. I don't think it's due uh, attention. But here we see this royal official become someone who believes. Who believes. Uh, and l- l- let me paint the picture for you. This, this son is dying. This father is in desperate need. And part of that desperation is pointed out. Think of it this way. Let's say Jesus' home was in Owasso, and he's coming home from Dallas. But word comes in Owasso that he's in Bixby. This father can't wait for the rest of the trip. This father leaves his home. His son is in such desperate need that he goes, I think, with with an extra horse to Bixby to get Jesus back to Capernaum to heal his son. It's that kind of urgency. I I want you to notice the, the request of this father. It's urgent, it's pressing. John will show us that this becomes one of Jesus' signs. One of those things that if you look into it for what it is, you'll see beyond it who Jesus is and who Jesus can be for you. John said he wrote these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That you might be one of those who... As the scriptures say, live by faith and not by sight. That was true for Bill Irwin. In fact, that particular scripture, live by faith and not by sight, was actually his uh, theme verse. At 47 years of age, he had had his life dramatically turned around by an encounter with Jesus Christ. His life was very different before he met Christ. He had already ruined four marriages. He himself was a functional alcoholic, but his life was coming apart. And he was coming to that realization that his life was unmanageable and he needed new management. His own son was uh, in rehab with a cocaine addiction. And they required the parents to come in for in-family therapy for at least a week. And he couldn't handle being away from his booze that week and realized how difficult his situation had become, not just his son's, and started turning management over to a higher power. From that day on, once he found Jesus, he was sober. And on the third anniversary of his sobriety, he took his first step on a journey. It's a journey that others have taken. It starts uh, in the northern mountains of Georgia, he started to walk the Appalachian Trail, an eight-month walk by most people's pace, an eight-month walk over 2,100 miles up the eastern coast. The Appalachian Trail ends in the state of Maine, 2,100 miles. He takes that first step on the anniversary. Of, of his sobriety, and he leaves with no other guide with him other than Orient, which was the name of his German shepherd there. They called the two of them the Orient Express. <laughs> Along the way, he ends up gathering some unanticipated media attention, A reporter follows him for a day, taking pictures. He's a constant irritant, but somehow Bill has patience with this guy. Obviously a sign that Jesus has changed his heart. The reporter asks him uh, how he can do what he's doing, and he shares with him Christ. The reporter becomes a Christian on the spot. Along the way... He purchases Bibles and writes his name in the Bible and gives them away to children if they'll agree to read a verse a day in the Bible that he gives them. He gave away 500 Bibles on this trip. He fell thousands of times, more than your average person. He had cracked ribs, he endured hypothermia. And though thousands have gone before and thousands since on the Appalachian Trail, what made Bill Irwin unique was that he was blind. He fell multiple times every day. There were times when he had to walk across rivers, and his only guide was his barking door, a dog on the far shore. Eight months walking by faith, not by sight. I suspect you're on a similar journey. It's a long way sometimes between a prayer offered and a prayer answered. And it may be one of the most Difficult and challenging journeys in any of our lives. There'll be times along our way that we, that we stumble, that we fall. There'll be slips into despair and moments and frustrations and darkness and some, sometimes feeling lost. Other times feeling forgotten. And if you're taking a long journey like that, do you have the faith that's life-giving enough to sustain you through it? If you do, that's real faith. If you do, that's lasting, abiding, prevailing faith. And that's the kind of faith that Jesus wants to grow in all of his disciples that, that follow him. And I think it's the kind of faith that's exemplified especially by this father. Now, it was only 20 miles from Capernaum to Cana. Uh, That's about big speed Owasso, isn't it? Isn't that a close analogy? I think that's pretty close. But I bet when your son's dying and there's no cell phone to tell you different, it can be an eternity. Maybe you've been in one of those places between prayer offered and prayer answered and time seems to be suspended. Distances seem to blur. This royal official, he comes to Jesus. He encounters him. We don't know if it's actually in Cana uh, or yeah, in Cana of Galilee, uh, that that's where it's said to have happened. Uh, it may have been on the road outside Cana as he continued to journey, which is how it was depicted in the video that we just saw. But but he comes to Jesus with this uh, with this request. My my son is dying. Please come. Please. Intercede, sir, come down before my child dies, verse 49. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was requesting him to come down and heal his son, requesting him. I I, I wonder why it just doesn't say he requested him. That's a little different, isn't it? He was requesting him. That's like a four-year-old that won't quit. You understand what I'm saying? This this is referring to a persisting kind of ask. This is asking until I see the answer. He, he, He was requesting of him to come down and to heal his son for he was at the point of je- death. Jesus therefore said to him, Now I never saw this coming. Verse 48 seems to be an anomaly in the midst of this almost. Jesus therefore said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. What? Does that even sound like Jesus? Lord Jesus, my son is dying. Please come immediately to Capernaum and and heal my boy before he dies. You people. What are the you people he's talking about? Now, what I think is there were either other people around, his disciples and other people of Galilee, And not everybody that applauded Jesus really followed him. You know what I mean? It's kind of like that moment in uh, uh, the State of the Union when the president comes out to give the State of the Union. You know what I'm talking about? Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States and both sides of the aisle stand in applause. But that doesn't mean everybody that's applauding is following, does it? Everybody wanted to see his miracles. But for some, it might have been mere amusement. Let's see what he does, right? Or some were wondering what it meant. What deeper realities did it point to? I think Jesus is in Galilee, and in the home region, a prophet is never honored. And Jesus is not just, he's not talking about the Father, I don't think. I think he's talking about others in that region that probably took his miracles for granted. You people, unless you see a sign, you will not believe. Jesus is describing contingent faith. Well, Lord, if you'll do this, then I will right Lord, if you'll just heal me I'll serve you this, this this is the the foxhole prayer right Lord if you'll do this then I'll do that Lord if you'll just show me so and so then I'll believe in you it's the kind of faith that makes you Lord of the Lord right and and it and it's not it's 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 just a notch above mere curiosity, really. It's a contingent kind of faith. Not not a grounded, evidence-committed kind of faith. And I, I think this parable contrasts those two ways of believing, really. Jesus, overheard by others, Says, you people, unless you see a sign, you just won't believe. And then this father believes without seeing a thing. He's not an example of what Jesus has just said. He's the antithesis of it for all to see. So so here's, here's this father. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. Well, you can conclude that he believed the word that he spoke to him because he started off, can't you? I think this is pretty amazing. If I'm concerned about my son dying, and I've come to take Jesus to make sure he's well, and Jesus just said, go your way, your son lives. I got a few questions. Your son lives. Well, of course he lives. He lives now. I'm concerned about him living tomorrow. Wouldn't you have some questions? Don't you always, whenever you trust God's word, still have some questions? And yet, this royal official turns, the argument stops, the pleading stops, he's made a long journey to get to Jesus coming with a request, and now something in him turns 180 degrees, and now he's no longer a man with a request journeying towards Jesus. He's, man, he's a man with an answer from Jesus, faithing it through. And he turns and he starts for home. And only along the way does he then get met by his servants who then say, your, your son lives. Your son lives. And, and, and he asked him, and at what time did his fever break? At what time did this turn around? And they say, they didn't really say it was at 1 p.m. That's how we keep time. That, that was translated. But he said in the seventh hour, which is 1 p.m., because they start counting the hours at 6 in the morning. So the seventh hour is 1, 1 p.m. yesterday. Yesterday. Are you having a hard time kind of keeping up with the track of time here? Yesterday? Now, it's a 20-mile trek by horse about four hours. If that happened at 1 o'clock yesterday, he would have been home by 5. It wouldn't have been the day after. But he recognizes at the time, as the time where Jesus spoke it. So what did he do for a day? I've had some people ask, and I think that's a pretty fair question. His son's dying. Did they get dinner? Did they sleep the night? Did he act as if his son wasn't dying? I, I-, I wonder what kind of faith this guy is walking in. Do you understand? Read between the lines here. It's the next day. At uh, well it's the next day so he can say yesterday at 1 o'clock and this man then recognizes it as the same time that Jesus had said your son lives contingent faith that's what's being contrasted here faith that has to see in order to believe It was contingent faith when Thomas in the upper room said, Unless I touch his scars, put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Right? Unless I see, I will not believe. And John ends his gospel by saying yet again, Blessed are they who believed who have not seen. Because that believing gives unto you so much more. Oh, Lord, help me express this. You people. Jesus is frustrated with those who have an unless I see kind of faith. He's wanting to grow them. Grow them beyond contingent faith to committed faith. He wants them to have the kind of faith that will sustain them through good times and through bad, through difficulties and through times of ease. Because contingent faith is sidewalk chalk faith. As long as it's sunny, it's there. But the moment it starts raining, it washes away. Sidewalk faith won't get you through, sidewalk faith won't get you up, sidewalk faith won't keep you going. I asked last week for those of you who have some, some stories of God's signs in your own life. Susan Fisk uh, shared with me a story that uh, I thought was really instructive, and especially on this particular point. She said that years ago when she, when she was a, 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 a young lady, she was keeping a child, help babysit a child for a foster family. And she grew attached to this child, wonderful little kid. And, and as she did, she also heard from that foster family that they were going to have to give up the child, that it had become too much a burden. It was too difficult for them. They were going to give the child back into the system. And it broke Suzanne's heart. And she went home and told her husband, we're going to adopt that child. And he said, no, we're not. <laughs> well, it made sense to her. This is something that would please God. This is a, a compassionate, Jesus like thing to do. So she decided she was going to get a word from God on the deal, you know? And it was, she was younger in her faith, so she did the old Russian roulette scripture ploy, you know, where you, where you open up the Bible and you point at a word and you hope it's God speaking to you. You know what I
1: mean?
0: So she, she opened up the Bible. She expected God to confirm her desire. She pointed to the Bible. She looked down and it said simply, no. So what did she do? Well, she does what everybody with contingent faith does. She tries it again. (laughs) She opened it up again. She dropped her finger. She looked down again. It said no. She did it a third time. Again, it said no. And finally she said, okay, Lord, you must have reasons I don't understand. I'm going to trust you. Now you ask me, did she have greater faith when she started that journey or when she finished it? She had graduated from contingent faith to a committed faith that could sustain her even when she didn't understand things, even when answers are not clear. Are you with me? God had used even that struggle... And even his answer, although that wasn't what she wanted, as a way of growing her faith. The same thing's going to happen later on in Matthew. 5,000 are going to be fed with fish and with loaves. It's going to be quite an event. How do they keep taking those fish out of those same baskets? Jesus is going to feed 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fish. And then what happens the next day? They come back for more. Not because they see Jesus as the bread of life now and they're depending on him, they never take that step. They just come back to be astonished again, which is not the kind of growth in faith that John is trying to encourage in all of us. They come back merely to be astonished, not to be repentant. In Matthew 12, it says 13 on the screen. But Matthew 12, 38 through 41, the the Pharisees say, Master, we, we want to see a sign. And, and, and let me read to you what he actually says. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation. Interesting those words he picks. Adulterous. Divided in its devotion. Craves for a sign. And yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. Now there's a riddle. What is that? For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so the Son of Man must be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What is he talking about? His death and his resurrection. The biggest signs of all. Now we won't even study them as one of these seven signs. Because in some ways, they're in a whole different category. This is the essential sign. This is the sign that points to the truth most definitely about who Jesus was and who Jesus can be in our own lives. If you miss this sign, you miss not just a miracle for the moment, you miss the miracle of your eternity. The men of Nineveh shall stand up with this generation at the judgment and shall condemn it because... They repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something is greater here than Jonah. These signs are meant to point us to the Master, to the Savior, to the Lord. To he that is all things are from and all things are are due our Savior, our closest friend. All this is meant to point us to Jesus. The the, the Father hears what Jesus says, and at his word, he turns, trusts Jesus. He sees nothing, but nevertheless, he believes. He trusts Jesus. He stops his pleading. He leans into it as if it's already so. And his turning to leave is really a sign that he believes, isn't it? I, I wonder with that answered prayer that, that you're struggling with God having yet answered. I, I, I wondered if that answered prayer is something that you could show a graduated faith by how you respond to that answer. By how you show Jesus in the world that you trust that answer. Just a question. He had 20 miles to go. Some of you have already gone 20 years. There's a long journey sometimes, this this faith thing. A long time between a prayer offered and a prayer Answered, And it's still a struggle along the way, isn't it? Committed faith, leaning into the faith, still has its stumbling moments, moment, still has its difficult times, still has its despairing moments. Remember the Father? I believe. Help my unbelief. That rings so true to me because I've discovered it's, it really is a, a part of this journey of ever believing more, learning to trust more, Like Jesus trusted the Father. It's a difficult journey. I wonder what it was like. I wonder wonder what it was like when he saw the servants riding towards him at the distance. You know what I mean? He's left, he's believing, he's trusting, but he's human I wonder how close someone has to be before you can read their face. Before you can look into their eyes and see whether or not that's an expression of mourning or an expression of restored hope. You know that place where you believe, but you're saying inside, God, help my unbelief. Life is that real, and your journey is that real. Bill Irwin's journey was that real. There's places where it's difficult to believe. It's not just a given. There's moments along that journey where all that you've believed before is not enough to get you through. You have to believe deeper. You have to hold stronger. You have to be more resilient. You have to faith it through. This is not Christianity 101. But this is the stuff that disciples are made of. And this is the stuff that makes disciples. He asked them, when did my son get better? And those who have come know the hour, but they don't know what it means. Well, it was yesterday at the seventh hour. And then it, the penny drops. That, no, no, that, that's the same time that Jesus said, my son was healed without my knowing it, but my believing it because Jesus said it. That They're asking, when did this happen, right? But it's not the when question that gets answered for the Father. What question is it? It's the who did it question. It's the who. This is that Jesus. This is that. This is that which has come for me. This is that that would redeem me. This is that that would save me. This is Jesus. And I may only understand Jesus this much right now. There's so much more and greater depths to understand about him. But I know him enough to trust him and to realize he's the one in whom I need to place my trust. And that was even a greater miracle. Which was the greater miracle? To heal his son for some years physically. Or the miracle at the end of this story where this royal official believed on Jesus. He and his whole household. Jesus saved a man from his sickness, and there are those who only have eyes to see that as the greatest thing that happens in this passage. Not so. The greatest things that happen in this passage that faith arose to the point that it could have an eternal difference in the lives of every one of those who claimed it. Do you understand? Those who believed on him he and his old household, their lives would change. The rest of their lives going through life, they would no longer approach any test, any difficulty unbelieving. From this point on, they are facing life believing. Believing. And my friends, that is a tipping point advantage no matter what the doctor says is on the screen. That is a tipping point advantage when you've prayed and you've believed and you've sent tapes and letters, but your prodigal has yet to come home. When you know in whom you have believed and you know that that is the difference maker, and if he has spoken a word to you, you can trust it, even if you don't fully understand it. Even if you don't fully understand the where or the how or the when. Now, now this morning, I, I believe that Jesus gives us, grows us in that kind of faith, not only to get us through the difficulties of life, but for us to be partners helping others get through the difficulties of this life. If we read this passage correctly, this isn't about just a miracle that happened to that Father, the father was interceding for someone else. He came with his son's needs on his mind. You think God gave you your faith just for you? Or does he expect us as people of faith to be those who do business in God's name on behalf of those who have not had the chance to grow in that kind of faith? Jesus stands in this room and all of a sudden the the roof starts falling in. And there's people up on the roof and they're making a hole. And up there with them is a, a paralyzed man who could not get there himself. But his friends lower him down by ropes into the room right at the feet of Jesus. And then Jesus says to that guy, hey, you, get up and walk. But he doesn't say that. Before first saying, to the four holding the ropes, because of your faith, you rise and walk. You see, the faith that delivers just isn't in the person who is delivered. The faith is in the body of Christ that believes for you. I hope to gosh whenever you go through a really difficult time that you've got somebody holding the ropes for you. That you've got others believing with you even when your faith would falter or stumble or fail. We all need the body of Christ to be the body of Christ even and sometimes especially when we are faithing things through. So this morning I'd like to close in a different sort of way. Usually the application of these messages is all about you applying something in your life. This morning, I want to invite you to be a person who stands in the gap for someone else that you know that's as desperate as the son in that story. I don't think it's a coincidence that you're the one who knows them. I don't think it's a coincidence. That you're here this morning on their behalf to hear about this parable, this this story. In my own mind's eye, in preparing for this, I saw us coming forward, some of us, maybe not all of us, but some of us who had that kind of burden, you know. We traveled all the way from Owasso, maybe, to get here this morning. And we come this morning and 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 we stand here this morning and, and we want to pray for somebody else. We're coming to Jesus, saying, Jesus, Would you intercede for my brother, for my sister? All right? Now, in just a few moments, I'm going to invite you to do that. And when you come forward, don't wait for me to get to you. Just turn to another one of your brothers and sisters and tell them who it is that you're praying for. All right? And I think it'd be just like God, just like God in the next days or the next weeks or the next years. For you to hear some word about how God has intervened in that person's situation. And for you to ask, when did the turning point come? And for someone to say, hmm, seems like it was around January 15. (laughs) They might even go so far to say, right at noontime. So, the time might be important. That you who carry faith are being called to exercise that faith to make a difference in somebody else's life. And I don't know how God chooses to answer that, but I know God does. I I know that personally, for the the way he's built faith in me over the years has often been in, in these kinds of moments. Some years ago, Scott Burnett, who's with us this morning, had a stroke. Some of you know that story. He he was in the hospital, and I got a call that that Scott had had a stroke. Please come. And and I got there, and at first I couldn't find the family, so I went directly to the room. Kind of presumptuous of me, but I went anyway. And when I got inside, he was in ICU. He's in one of those units where a a nurse can observe everything. The man's just had a stroke. His speech is splurred. A slurred, the whole side of his body is, is paralyzed, and I go in to pray for him. And we bow and pray, both being men of faith, and it shocked me when God answered. Jesus could have turned to me in that moment and, and said, Oh, ye of little faith, you numbskull, you're praying to me. And you're surprised when an answer comes? I had to grow my faith. We were praying for Scott and all of a sudden his speech is no longer slurred. And that side that was paralyzed comes up out of the sheets. Look at here, Pastor. Look at here. And, and, And I look at the nurse. I look at the nurse and her eyes are this big. And Scott says, I'm healed. Let's go home. And he starts pulling off the cords and getting out of bed. I wait. I probably should have just let him go. But I had another friend across town at another hospital. His name was Chuck Stoffel. And he was on the edge of death. And I saw what God did for Scott. And I thought, Lord, if there's an anointing on this moment, if something has rubbed off on me, I'm going immediately to this other hospital. And I went there and I prayed for Chuck. And I walked into that room, and I told Sarah what had just happened. And I said, I don't know what God's going to do, but I know God can do anything he wants to do, and I'm going to pray for Chuck. And I wouldn't be surprised if he wouldn't stop pulling out cords and jumping up in the bed because our God is strong enough to heal him and to heal him completely. He can raise him up. And I prayed over Chuck, and I prayed over Chuck, and I prayed over Chuck. And he didn't rise up out of that bed but he did. He went on to heaven. And God answered my prayer more fully on that side than he ever could have answered it on this side. And I don't know the mysteries of why God sometimes moves and God sometimes doesn't move. If you ever get that figured out, you're the wisest person that's ever lived. But I know we can trust him. And I know even though Chuck Stoffel didn't get up out of that bed in that moment, I know nevertheless, my heavenly father had his hands in the chicken wire. And he was saying, believe, son. Believe. Yes, believe. I need believers in this world. It's because of your prayers that that I move. I want to move with you, not despite you. Believe, son, believe. I left that day discouraged that Chuck had not gotten out of that bed, but if I had had eyes to see, the chicken wire was squeezed together behind me. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But every time we exercise faith, regardless of the results that we see or understand, our Heavenly Father is pleased. So maybe not all of us have that kind of burden this morning, but I want to close the service this morning by just asking those of you who have someone like that to pray for to come. And when you get here, don't wait. Just start sharing in a sentence or two who it is, what you hope the answer will be, and trust God together in this moment. Trust his word. He will be Lord. He will be Savior. Believe. Believe. If that's for you, respond to that invitation this morning as we stand and sing.